Oh, there we go. Hi, everyone. Like you said, my name is Aaron Ashley Simon. And like also Don said, we're going to talk about some other issues. Um, the issues for this panel that we're going to be discussing is um, women and gender equality and uh, also a little bit about diversity and inclusion when it comes to sports, whether it's business, uh, athletics, and et cetera. Um, we've seen so many conversations, even from the US Women's National Team when it comes to uh, the gender uh, wage pay gap. And then there's also some things on the business side that we've seen as well. And we have a very diverse group on this panel. So the first thing that we're gonna start off with is introducing ourselves. I'd like to, you know, have that little moment for us to all talk about what we do. And then also my thing is I wanna ask you guys, what is one thing that you love about the sports industry or just sports in general? So I'll start off. My name is Aaron Ashley Simon, once again. I'm one of the co-hosts for Cheddar Esports. It's a gaming and esports show that's on the Cheddar Network. Um, and uh, we talk about all sorts of things within the gaming industry, everything from uh, sexism, uh, esports leagues, and so forth. Uh, and what I love about sports is I feel like, as someone who used to play soccer at the University of Kentucky, sports, I feel like, sets the foundation for the rest of your life. It really sets the foundation for business. It really sets the foundation for the workforce. It really sets certain intangibles and principles that you can take anywhere that you want to go after you're done. So that's why I really love sports. Cool. Thanks, Erin. Um, my name is Shina Wheel. I'm the CEO and founder of Minorities in Sports Business Network, which is a national org organization of over a thousand professionals of color in the sports industry. Um, we just started as a group chat with like about 10 people that I worked with in the past, a few of my homies, and here we are as like a full organization now. Um, I've worked in the sports industry for about 10 years. I've worked everywhere from your ESPNs to your NBA teams to moonlighting as uh, NFL brand manager, working with a few NFL guys, so like working on the agency side. So I've kind of been everywhere and have a really diverse background of experience. Um, one thing I love about sports is its ability to kind of like bring everything together. And that's super cliche um, to, you know, talk about sports being that kumbaya moment. But um, if you look especially at platforms like Twitter and whenever something crazy happens, the way that you can really get people from all different backgrounds, um, just different levels and walks of life to come together and just talk about one topic, it's insane to me. So that's what I love the most. Hi, I'm Jessica Berman. Today is actually my first day on the job, my new job. I, oh, thank congrats. you, thank you. I'm happy to be here with you all and not in the office. So that's, that's a good first day. Um, I am the Deputy Commissioner of the National Lacrosse League. I'll have to get used to saying that. I spent the last 13 years at the NHL and most recently building a lot of their culture and growth strategies focused specifically on diversity and inclusion. My new role, I'll be responsible for essentially anything and everything related to the growth of the National Lacrosse League and uh, I have a legal background as well, so I'll be responsible for all their legal matters, marketing, branding, storytelling, content creation, as well as working with our teams to help them to build capacity and relevance in their local markets. Um, what I love about sports, and it's not so different from what you shared, um, it's the reason I've always worked in sports, is its ability to bring communities together. And uh, actually, as the announcement came out from me taking this new role, 
I've had to tell the story a couple of times this, this week, but I'll just share a really brief version, which is that I had in a moment where I attended uh, actually a hockey game, an Islander game, and I grew up in Brooklyn, which is melting pot of the world, where I was actually the minority, and most of my friends didn't look like me. And uh, as I learned about how unique that is in our world, I always sought out experiences, in-person experiences that really emphasize that moment and provided opportunities to share that moment with people who are different from you because as you go on in your life, I think even people who are conscious of diversity and inclusion tend to find themselves in communities of people who look and act like them, which I don't think brings out the best in all of us. So I really love sports because it really forces people outside their comfort zone. Hi everyone, I'm Joanna Lohman, um, also known as the Rainbow Warrior. Um, I always say that my hair walks in and I walk in three minutes later, but I'm totally cool with that. I just retired from professional soccer. I played for 16 years. I was an out and proud professional athlete for that entire time. Um, I've played a few stints with the U.S. women's national team. I never made it to a World Cup or an Olympics, but obviously very proud of, of what they've accomplished. And I've used sport my whole life as an avenue to break down barriers, and I think that's what I love about sport, especially soccer. Um, soccer really is the, the global sport and it's a universal language. And in two weeks, I'll be heading to Nigeria. This will be the fourth year in a row. I'll be heading to Africa using sport as a vehicle for social change. So it's incredible that I'm able to walk over a line and you know, all sort of you know, norms are broken down, race, religion, gender, socioeconomic, and I'm playing on the same field um, as a young woman from Nigeria in the village. And it's just, it's an honor for me to be here and I'm excited to have these conversations today. Hi, I'm Alex Rigsby, now Alex Rigsby Cavallini. Um, I'm a goaltender on the US Women's National Team for hockey. Um, so, been playing hockey for about 22 years of my life. So hockey and athletics has been a big part of who I am and um, kind of where I've ended up in this crazy life of mine and um, you know I think what's so cool about sport is it just provides those opportunities it provides your opportunities for you know getting an education and you know being surrounded by incredible people on a daily basis and people that you get to call you know your family and teammates and friends and um, I've been so fortunate to be a part of this national team and you know being a part of such an empowering group of women and we're you know out fighting for equitable treatment and creating a new sustainable league. And so it's been a really incredible journey to be, um, you know, be able to have this platform, um, especially at this high level where you are able to um, have a voice and bring along others and, and you know, speak on topics that, um, you know, not others are able to, to speak on all the time. So, um, you know, it's been a, a great couple of years of my teammates and I fighting for what we believe in. Awesome, I love how you guys all have uh, different backgrounds, different experiences, but we all have a commonality when it comes to loving sports and loving what it brings to the table. Uh, but with the good side, and we start off on the positive note, there's also some things that still need to be addressed and still need to be um, spoken up about, and that is the disparities when it comes to uh, gender equality and women equality within sports. So I wanna ask you guys, I mean, we can start down with you, Alex, first. What does women equality and gender equality look like to you? I think it's just the opportunities. Um, I mean, I grew up playing 
with all boys. I played boys hockey until I went to college. Never was on a full-time uh, women's team, and I think it was just because there weren't the opportunities that that are you know could potentially be available and that are available these days. But um, that's just kind of how I grew up, and you know we're fighting for creating this league, a league that's sustainable and that. Um, you know, it's gonna provide those opportunities for young girls. So for the gender, you know, opportunities and just being able to be able to play a sport that you love because of your ability and because you wanna be a part of that team. And, um, you know, I think also with equality of what we're fighting for is just not, not we're not looking for to make millions of dollars like, you know, NFL, NHL, um, MLS players, but it's, it's fighting for, equitable treatment. Um, you know, we're looking for a sustainable league that provides insurance. We get sock tape, um, equipment, you know, just basic things that you need to do to be able to perform at your highest level. And so um, looking for kind of those resources and those allies that can um, come in and help us out and provide those different opportunities and different resources that, um, you know, is so obvious for any other sport you know, male counterpart of ours. And, um, you know, you kind of say those things out loud and it's kind of like, wait, you're not getting sock tape? You don't get sock tape. Something that you just need, everyone needs, everyone uses, you don't get stick tape. Um, such basic things that we're not given. So, um, you know, we're trying to find, create a different league. You know, the, the leagues that we've been kind of with for the past, you know, so many years, they're not sustainable at this point. And, you know, we believe that we deserve better. And uh, my teammates and I at USA Hockey, we created that um, kind of equal pay, not equal pay, we, we fought for um, more equal resources. And so now that we have this, a livable wage, you know, we weren't earning that before. I'm, I played for a league last year in Canada that was making $2,000 Canadian. Um, so, you know, it's pretty crazy when you, you really take a step back and look at that, but, um, you know, we're just really looking for the resources and the support that we think that we can take our game to the next level. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. I, you know, it comes from equal opportunity and equitable uh, investment in resources. Um, you know, similar to Alex, playing professional soccer, I made $19,000 a year. And you know, part of me was just grateful to have a league because we see leagues folding on the women's side. And I think at this point, the conversation isn't, should we do it? It's, it's the right thing to do. Just because you're born with a certain type of chromosome shouldn't give you entitlement of, of resources and opportunity. It should, it should be for everyone. Um, and obviously that's a, a conversation that needs to be had. The US Women's National Team is starting the equal pay, equal play movement. But uh, in so many other areas, we're so much further behind that. And I think it's giving the opportunity, giving the resources, and doing it because morally it's right. And um, everyone can sit up here and tell you the lessons that they've learned from playing sport. I am the person I am today because I was able to learn all those lessons um, playing soccer as a young woman, playing every single sport. I played with boys, um, and it's shaped my life. And I am a confident, resilient, gritty, uh, gritty woman because I was able to get knocked down and pick myself back up again. I shouldn't be able to do that because I'm from a you know, middle-income family with white skin. It should be given to everyone. And it shouldn't even be a question anymore. It should be how can we make this happen? And 
you know, for instance, the National Women's Soccer League, you have MLS teams that are creating women's teams. I think we need to start seeing the men's leagues going out on, you know, taking this under their wing and creating women's sides to their men's programs. Again, because it's the right thing to do. Are you gonna make money? Probably not, especially in the first few years, but it's the right thing to do to give women an equal opportunity, equal ac access to the sport. I guess I'll answer from a business perspective. Um, I would say what gender equality looks like to me in the boardroom or in corporate America in the sports industry is uh, really creating opportunities for women to feel that they can contribute to the conversation. I, I think we're beyond the hiring question, um, certainly at the junior levels. And I think in most organizations, they're uh, very conscious of ensuring that the organization from a numbers perspective looks balanced. Uh, I think it's, it's much more nuanced than that. And I think uh, what gender equality looks like to me in 2019 and beyond is really ensuring that people are conscious of uh, giving women an opportunity to have a voice in the conversation and feel that their contribution matters and that their different perspective is actually welcome. I think because we've grown up in a world where um, for many years it was a lot of similar people from similar backgrounds making decisions together, people have been conditioned to fear, debate, and discussion. And I think that a lot of um, people who have been in those situations have experienced that when you work with people who think like you do, your path to getting to the result that you think you want is easier. And, and that's logical if you think about it, right? Like you're talking to people who think like you, who have a similar education to you, maybe they have similar friends to you. So when you present an idea, it's like, that's a great idea. And that's very validating and really comfortable and probably easy to get to the result that you think you want. It's a lot more challenging and I think people need to be um, educated and prepared that when you seek perspectives from people who come from different backgrounds, it's going to feel uncomfortable. You're going to have situations where you have to explain yourself, where you might have to pause and rethink your strategy. And I think for a lot of people, that's not a muscle that's been practiced and exercised. And certainly that's true for um, generations ahead of, say, me. Um, and so I think training is really important just so that people's expectations can be calibrated to say when you find yourself in those situations where it seems that a woman or a person of color is challenging you, they're not doing it to be critical. They're doing it because they're trying to get us to a better outcome and actually different perspectives will make us better, particularly when from a business standpoint, demographics are shifting across certainly our country, but really across North America. And so if we want to reach those new audiences, we have to get perspectives from people who think differently. So that's to me what gender equality looks like today. And I'm going to piggyback on the business side as well. Um, gender equality for me goes beyond just hiring. So like you said, um, I think a lot of companies are very cognizant about that balance and that shift. But what isn't there is really that space for a lot of women to feel safe, to feel validated, to 
um, feel like they are respected enough in the place. So it goes beyond just getting bodies in the door. So when you fill out your little diversity chart, you can put in your little circle like, oh, we are 50% women, look at us, yay. Um, you know, it takes, I'll, I'll tell a quick story. When I started in this industry 10 years ago, I started working for a team, a very prominent MBA team. And my first day on the job, you know, they took all the women aside and told us sh straight up, you're not allowed to talk to players. You are a liability. Um, and if we see you talking to players, you are fired. Because if you get into a relationship with a player, then that could impact play, that could impact the business. Now me, coming from Penn State, knowing a lot of players who went pro, that's not why I went into sports. Like, a groupie, being a groupie is not gonna get me you know, hired, it's not gonna get me promoted, like I'm smarter than that. So I was really confused as to why that conversation was even happening with me. Like I am not trying to fuck any of these guys on this team. <laughs> like I'm here to just like come in and do my work and like kick ass in this industry. And to be hurt, to be told that on your first day and you were like straight out of college, you know, what does that do? to a woman and what you think that this industry thinks of you. Because automatically you get that thought, like you're only here to fuck players. Um, or even when I said, you know, I love this role, but I would love to work in operations one day. To be told, we don't really let women into operations here. This is from a professional team in a league and I'm not gonna put them on blast because I know things are shifting. Um, but to be told that you know, they don't allow women in operations because again, that is a liability, is disheartening. So I would love to see, you know, that shift change where you are getting women in the door and they don't need to have that separate conversation because all of us who work in sports, especially on the business side, we know sometimes like men are the bigger groupies than women. So if you're gonna have that conversation with us, have that conversation with all the guys too. Reach, girl. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> I know. We're about to get even more candid. Um, so, yeah, I mean, even with like talking about just opportunities, I believe that, like, especially when it comes to opportunities with women within sports, um, and even now we're including esports into this conversation as well. If anything, it's going to further help the industry from a business perspective, and even sometimes from a, a, a even with, with the competitive side of it. Like for example, um, we're starting to see a lot more all-women tournaments within esports. And um, you know, people before were like, why are you splitting the men from the women and et cetera? But what they don't understand is that, you know, the gaming industry and esports industry is heavily male dominated. And as you guys know, I'm sure you've probably heard your sons or some kids cussing online and stuff like that. They're crazy online. And so there are women gamers who play online or they play in these environments, but they may not be comfortable because right now there's certain um, aspects of the industry where it's, there's not a lot of women. There's, you can go to certain events, like there's this, uh, a video game called Counter-Strike. They have a tournament actually gonna be happening in here in New York. You look around and it's mostly predominantly white males that are there. So as a woman, some people may be afraid to go without having a friend or someone like that. So having these all-women competitions creates this comfortable environment to have these women come and compete and also develop them to eventually then play against the men later on. And if anything, that's gonna further help the, the tackling these issues of implicit biases, 
toxicity, sexism, and et cetera. Um, so it's good that we're starting to see a lot of these conversations happen. And it's unfortunate that you know we still have some people that think that women want to screw players. And I mean, they're nasty, so we're good on that. But, um, <laughs> but uh, sorry guys, my brother played football, so I've heard stuff. All right, so, but let's talk about these implicit uh, biases because unfortunately that just naturally happens, whether you're a woman or even a woman of color. Mm -hmm. So what did you guys do to navigate these implicit biases when you first started out versus now when you guys are in more leadership roles? Um, I guess I'll start. In the beginning, I will say it was very tough, um, especially like I worked, I'll just put them out there, I worked for ESPN in the beginning of my career too, and I was the only person of color on my team. Um, and you know, there were a good amount of women there, but um, I didn't feel like I was able to have the voice that I needed to have. And looking back on it, like I wish I was more outspoken about certain things. Like, you know, I worked with a lot of kids who didn't come from the same background as me. I worked with a lot of kids who, you know, whose daddy played golf with John Skipper and like was able to get their job that way. Or they had a family house in Bermuda next to like the president of ESPN, um, where I'm just like online on ESPN.com slash careers, like trying to, <laughs> apply like a normal person. Um, so I wish I would have been more vocal back then. So I make it a point now that in any role that I'm in or any room that I'm in, or um, if I'm working with anyone that I am vocal about how I feel about certain things, especially if it's something that could impact the business. Um, like you were saying, like having those diverse perspectives can really, and there's data and stats to prove this, having these diverse perspectives can really grow your business and in turn grow your revenues. So I realized that my voice is needed and it's definitely heard. Um, well, I'll start with the where I'm at at this point in my career. Uh, and I, I won't say that I can't do better. I think we can all do better. Um, but I'm really conscious of uh, the people in the room who are being marginalized, and sometimes that's a white man because they like don't play golf. Um, it's not always the person of color or always the woman, but I'm really conscious and sensitive to reading the room, the EQ, my EQ, and seeing who's being squashed, and making sure that I'm seeking out their perspective or giving them a platform to provide their perspective and validating when they have good ideas. They may not always have good ideas. So it's not to say that we should be creating an, uh, any sort of um, imbalance in equity, right? Like ultimately everyone should hold their weight and contribute and I'm someone who defines myself by having a good work ethic and the merits of what you contribute, but everyone should feel like they have a voice. And if you don't feel like you have a voice, I don't think you'll get your best output. I think people tend to start to have a lot of self-doubt when they find themselves in situations where they're continually marginalized. And so um, I had a situation in a meeting recently where I, I noticed that someone on my team, two times during the meeting, uh, a white, man, happened to be a white man and happened to be a white woman who was on my team, he kept shutting her down. I don't think he realized he was doing it. Um, he just kept cutting her off. Like every time she spoke and she was also junior. So she's a woman, she's junior, he's senior. There's all these different dynamics that go on in the workplace. And I just said, you know, um, no disrespect, but second time I have to 
ask you to let her finish her sentence so that we could even know whether what she's contributing is helpful to the conversation. Like, because she had stopped talking for like 15 minutes after that. And I'm sure in her head, she's like, well, he probably thinks what I said was stupid and maybe next time I shouldn't say anything. And, um, and I think for women in particular, that, that happens, right? Where we get in our, well, at least I'll speak for myself, I get in my head and start to think, well, maybe I shouldn't have said it that way or maybe it was my approach or um, is there something I could do differently because we tend to, I think, take a lot of ownership of that. But sometimes it's really not about you. And so um, I took the time to talk to her afterwards. Um, you can't always do that and be so aware of those dynamics because I found I was paying attention more to that than what I needed to say in the meeting. Um, but I really try to be conscious of that. Um, and I think early in my career, I was had a more fear mm -hmm. of my own right to be in the room that I didn't feel safe to use my platform, as, as you said. So I try to make up for that when I can. Yeah, it's great to hear the business side of it. Um, obviously, we speak from more of the athletic and on the field side. Um, I would love to touch on you know, sexism bias when it comes to homophobia in sport and um, how these restrictive boxes that we force each other into are really destructive. Um, there's not currently a single male athlete in a team sport, top three team sport, that's out. Um, also, too, from a female perspective, I think you're fighting the opposite stereotype that every single female athlete is a lesbian. And both of those are very, very dangerous assumptions to make. Yeah. Um, clearly, there is a, a gay man in a top three team sport that um, exists and lives and breathes, but there's no one there to make him feel safe or supportive. I think when we talked about um, speaking up and out about CBD, you need allies, you need people who are willing to really blaze that trail. Um, luckily, we're all sitting up here today because we had women before us who blazed that trail. Um, and we continue to do it. We're all pioneers up here also, willing to risk criticism, um, incredible amount of resistance to be exactly who we are. And it's disappointing that we have to face that resistance, but I always think I'm doing the right thing, right? If people are pushing back at me, if people are, are saying homophobic things to me or discriminating against me, then I am making someone else feel uncomfortable. And that's, I think, what all of us have to take on, a responsibility to, to push these conversations, to push each other to be better people, more inclusive, more diverse. And it's so important to have people who are speaking who live it, and then there's important, it's so important for people who are allies to stand up for them, to, to say, you're okay, we are okay. You don't have to be a, a certain type of person to play a sport. Um, you come from a variety of backgrounds and um, that's what brings you know, teamwork together and that's what makes us a better society is when we have these diverse voices and these diverse backgrounds. So I, th I think you know, part of it is being willing to stick your neck out and facing criticism and um, for some people that means losing their career and for others that just means facing a bit more criticism and resistance. I don't know how to top that. That's pretty good. Uh, um, so for me, you know, finding my voice and stuff, like I said, I played boys hockey growing up, and I found myself always, I don't want to say quiet, but I was always, you know, working my butt off to prove that I deserved to be there. Every single team, I had to start over and earn that respect, prove that I deserved to be there, not because I was a girl, be, but because of my ability. And so for me, I think that really brought on a an edge that sport provided me. I, I'm the most competitive, sorry, competitive person. Um, you know, I work my butt off to make every single team and, um, you know, really didn't 
I've always had confidence, but I didn't really realize the voice that I had until 2017 when my team and I, actually it started in 2016, um, the senior players on our team came to us and was like, all right, so we're done being grateful for what we've been provided. And, you know, that was kind of a mind-blowing thing. They, they provided background on, um, you know, kind of the history of, you know, the team in 2002 trying to fight for, you know, a, you know, better treatment. And that was at the same time that U.S. soccer was doing the same exact thing. And, you know, as a young player at the time on the team, I had no idea that was ever a thing. And you look at where U.S. soccer is today, they're, you know, 12, 13 years ahead of where we want to be. Because a team like U.S. soccer, they stood their ground, stood up for what they believed in, and made those moves to make it happen for to improve the the sport of soccer and improve the next generation of athletes. And so, um, you know, for me, that was the first time where I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm part of the national team. Like, I actually have a voice. I mean, I think it's made a difference, too, with social media. I kind of, you know, grew up with new trends coming up with social media. You know, Twitter was introduced around when I was in college, and then Instagram came out. And so... I think with having those social platforms, it really makes a difference is to be able to share your stories, have, have a voice, um, you know, and we ended up having that equitable treatment in 2017 and it was a huge movement for us and I look at it as a small wave, creating a bigger wave as to what we're doing right now. We just created a dream gap tour for 200 plus players um, who aren't gonna be playing in uh, North American League this year and so, we have Canadians and U.S., Finnish, um, all types of players coming in and um, being a part of this tour. And I think to be able to see the voice that people have had, it's not just from the national team players. It's from, you know, players who might not have gone to a D1 school necessarily, but they're working their butts off, trying to play hockey, having a full-time job as well. And so for, you know, kind of seeing everyone finding their own voice has been a really incredible experience. And... Um, you know, I think it's just creating that platform where you are sensitive to what people are going through and that you're also empowering these people to speak their truth and speak for what they believe in. And so, um, you know, I'm really excited for what we have moving forward for us. And, you know, we have a lot, lot to go, a long ways to go. And um, but, yeah, I think just having that voice and being surrounded by players who and people who are supportive of that voice and you know, I think as our team, you look around them and we're very supportive of other, you know, women and other athletes who are trying to make moves within sport and, um, you know, just being allies for all. Yeah, it's, it's very it's a very interesting dynamic um, when you speak about utilizing your voice and also knowing how to navigate within these uh, implicit biases. For me, as someone who started out in my career being behind the scenes, um, it was kind of one of those things where the sense of fear, where it's like, I, you know, I want to speak up, but I fear losing my job. I fear X, Y, and Z. Um, but it, it was kind of like a turning point for me when I went from working behind the scenes and now being in front of a camera. Now that I'm in front of a camera, it doesn't matter what I do. Someone's going to criticize me or not like me for no reason. So now I'm at a point where I'm like, you know what? I'm going to say whatever I want because you're not going to like me anyway, just for whatever reason. And I think that having that dynamic shift kind of helped me with understanding the platform that I have and utilizing my voice. You know, I'm one of very, 
one of the very few. There's not that many black women within the media esports space right now. So, you know, I always think of it like, dang, like, if Serena Williams is one of the greatest athletes, and I'm not even saying women athletes, athletes of all time is getting criticism all the time, then, you know, there are going to be occasions where we ourselves are going to have to take some of that that, that criticism in order to pave the way for those behind us because others did that for us, so we need to do the same as well. And uh, I always joke and laugh because I work with a lot of men and um, I always laugh because whenever I tell them I'm Puerto Rican, they're like, hit the deck, they're like, oh, she's crazy. And they go, hit the deck. Um, <laughs> which is, I always joke about it because you know we're known as being fiery and feisty, but that's actually interesting that there are those biases that come with being a woman or being a black woman or being a woman who's also black and Puerto Rican. And so my question to you guys is, how do you balance the individual actions of, you know, whether it is uh, uh, helping a junior staff member speak up more or speaking up for your team uh, versus pushing the organization as a whole for, uh, for further change and also, how do you navigate it when there are those biases of, oh, she's speaking up, she's, she's probably angry, uh, she's too emotional. There's certain things that are said uh, about women when we speak up on certain matters with passion, but it's always viewed as a negative thing uh, compared to if a counterpart, a male counterpart, speaks on the same matter. So how do you navigate that through your own actions, and then how do you navigate that collectively to push the bigger organization to make those changes? You know I definitely got the angry black woman, like <laughs> multiple times. Um, definitely even had a superior come to me once um, afterwards and tell me like, you know, um, you really fit in here. Like the white people feel really comfortable with you around because you smile a lot. And I'm like, okay. Um, but for me, I mean, one, it is fucking exhausting. Like. You want to do your job. You want to come in and do your role, but then, um, you're asked to kind of fill the space of like DNI and gender equality, and people want to come in and ask your opinion or ask you to do these side projects um, to help them like better themselves that we're not getting paid for. So it's like, should I send you an invoice for my retainer fee or not? Um, but it is exhausting, but you realize and you have to think about the bigger picture. Um, one of the things I like to do is I like to just make sure I make myself available to. Um, any junior person, whether it's like in the company or someone just reaching out to me on LinkedIn, because I know that was very helpful for me. And I also know there were a lot of women, unfortunately, who were not available to me. And it was seen more as a competition. And I can't even really fault them because that's kind of how the industry, the industry made them feel. Like, here's this younger woman coming up. She's here to take your spot. So they felt like they had to protect it. So. Um, I try to kind of just change that perspective and make myself available from a company standpoint. The same way, like, you know, I don't, for the companies that I've worked for, there was definitely a previous company that I worked for that I was definitely doing like a double role. I was doing my sponsorships role and I was like a pseudo DNI person, which I'm like, I, this is not even my background, but cool. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely made myself available to help them because I realized that they were trying to make a change and they were trying to do it the right way and have, you know, I recognized that they were trying to have people of color as well as women like really have a voice and even bringing people who were um, LGBTQIA plus in the room to make sure that it was an authentic voice and not just like, 
you know, an older white guy just saying like, I want diversity and I'm gonna do all the work because you need to have those voices represented in the room so the work can be done correctly, so. Um, I would say like from an individual perspective, um, and again, I've gotten better at this with age and confidence, um, to be less of a conformist, if that makes sense. Like I remember working for the teams at the University of Michigan. I was the manager for the football team and the hockey team and the baseball team and I kept stats and I did all the media notes and was responsible for all the PR and I remember being really conscious of how I dressed. Um, I remember uh, being super conscious and a lot of the players who are on that hockey team who now or have since played in the NHL and I've been in touch with, they, they laugh at how I wouldn't speak to them. Um, <laughs> outside of the hockey rink because I was like, oh God, if the coach sees me, like I, he may not want me to work for the team. Um, I don't want him to think I'm here for that reason. Some, sometimes it was said, sometimes it was implied, like why are, you know, the way, the looks that you would get. Um, so I, I tried to um, just kind of tone down my feminine qualities. Um, and, and I would say since then, I, I've, I've actually, I think, done the opposite, um, not in an inappropriate way, but in a, like now I'm a mom and I reference what I've learned from being a mom like in work meetings because I actually believe it's relevant. Like some of the work I'm doing is around youth sports and a lot of the people in the room, maybe they don't have kids or maybe they're less involved with their kids' activities. Like I actually understand the culture of youth sports from a consumer's perspective. Like it's relevant to the conversation not just because I'm an executive and I've done this for 10 to 20 years, but I actually live it every single day. I have kids who are eight and 11, the target audience that you're talking about from the data and the decks of what are millennials and Gen Zs want. I'm like, I know them, they live in my house. I deal with them every single day, like the competition with the screen and their behaviors and their inability to pay attention and all those sorts of things. Like I know how that shows up day to day and again, I think it comes with age, confidence, perspective, um, but I, I own it and I say it, I, I give voice to it my, in terms of why I feel like it's relevant. And what I've noticed is <laughs> there's actually uh, white men, um, older white men who are now doing that too. And I'm like, oh, this is really good. Like I could actually, um, just by modeling the behavior that I think matters because when you show up at work, I think there's a there's some line of thinking that you're showing up as like an executive, as if that's like just one dimension of who you're bringing to the table. Well, we're all being hired because we do other things. Like I run, I am a parent, I am a friend, I'm a daughter, I am all these other things that really bring a holistic perspective to what I'm doing at work. And I think by giving voice to that, I've seen shifts in like microcultures of groups that I've worked in that has been really good, I think, for everybody, and actually have had conversations with some of the men who are like, it's really refreshing to be able to talk about my personal life at work and why it's relevant to the conversation that we're having that's business-related, because it is relevant, because like it's, it's all dynamic, and as the commissioner of the NHL always says, everything relates to everything else. Like That's, that's one of his famous sayings, and I think it's really true, um, and so that that's for me, I'll, I'll let some others speak, but that's for me how I've shown up on it individually is just modeling what I think we all need to do better. Yeah, I love that. I think um, similarly, I've just been a real 
open and honest and authentic person in my career. I think players, rookies coming in to the locker room, they hear me come in, I'm like, oh, I met this girl last night, and it's completely normal, right? I don't, I don't apologize for it, I don't shy away from it. Um, no one's flinching when I say that, and I think modeling the behavior is such a great way because people see it and they, and they feel like it's genuine. You're not trying to fit some mold. And I also love what you said about dimensions. I think we talked about this earlier that people expect athletes, you put a label on them, um, you give them a number, but there's so many dimensions to their personality and their character that we fail to see. So it's really exhibiting um, all of those characteristics. When I got injured in 2017, I tore my ACL. I, on my Instagram, I took my fans through the whole process, right? Of, and it really humanized me, um, seeing a professional athlete who is put up on a pedestal learning how to walk again, walking into my teammates' arms and my retirement, of, of sharing my honest feelings on things. And also, too, this comes with my international trips um, of going to Africa. I don't, I don't land in Africa with a rainbow flag on my back. I think um, there's obviously you know, sensitivities to this. I think meeting people and having conversations, genuine conversations, being interested in their lives and being willing to be vulnerable and open yourself up um, for people to get to know you. And I will meet people in Nigeria and they'll have no clue that I'm gay. Um, they'll ask if I have a husband and I'll say, no, I don't. And I won't, I won't necessarily bring it up because I know it's not necessarily something that um, is, is open in their culture. But I will go home, they'll follow me on Facebook and they'll see a picture of me kissing my girlfriend. And all of a sudden that's the first gay person they've ever met. And you know, it's, it's just living your life day by day and trying to be as authentic as possible and real and to show even the dark sides of your personality. And that's what I've really tried to do in my life. And I think um, it's helped people that have followed me to feel more comfortable in their own skin. I love the word that you used was vulnerable. Um, that's something that I feel like I became more of as I got older. I mean, like I said before, I was always trying to prove myself and you know, I always feel like I had a chip on my shoulder. I've been cut from you know, Olympic teams and then made it back, made my way back on the national team. And you know, I feel like through the process where once I started becoming vulnerable and open to you know, change and emotions and you know, listening to different insights from different people, um, not being so stubborn, because before it was just like, go, 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 I'm doing it this, I'm making it. Uh, this is happening, and so becoming more emotional really helped me, I think, with my game and just kind of, you know, calming down, um, you know, being, like I said, vulnerable to, to change, and, you know, I think as a female athlete, too, we all have that grit, you know, we have kind of that, we have, I, I would say my team's a bunch of badasses, and so I, I love that about us, is that you know, we come to the rink, we're ready to work, but we also, you know, are feminine at the same time and, you know, do whatever we want to do. But um, something that was actually eye-opening to me was we met with um, a clothing company this past weekend. It was um, 23, about 23 national team players from both Canada and U.S. And this company asked us, they're like, we're looking to change our line. How would you guys feel, um, like, how do you feel when you get to the rink? Do you want to be feminine? Do you want to you know, look cute, or do you want to go into, like, warrior mode, and I, we're all look at her, and we're like, warrior mode, you know, it's something like that with this group, um, you know, you're, you're not trying to put on a face of, you know, oh, I'm so, you know, feminine, and whatever, when I get to the rink, and, you know, it's, it's showing that badass side, and, you know, you're, you're ready to put in that work, and so I think sometimes with females, it's, 
hard, um, you know, finding that balance between, um, you know, I was called, the, I was the biggest tomboy ever growing up, still a tomboy. Um, you know, I think it's just being comfortable and, you know, being open to all the different, you know, backgrounds of your teammates and embracing all of that as well. And, um, you know, I think as you get older, you really kind of see that and, you know, really um, conscious of what other people are feeling as well. Yeah, there's definitely layers when it comes to not just only who we are as people, but even to like when you're talking about femininity, there's layers to that. There's also layers to masculinity. It's not just black and white. Um, the same way that there are layers to the complexity um, around discrimination and issues when it comes to race, gender, and sexual orientation, especially within the sports industry. Um, we see it in varying degrees. Like for example, when we talk about the LGBTQIA uh, plus community, you know, we don't see a lot more out male, male players, but we are starting to see more out women players. And having that um, complex dynamic, society dynamic, when it comes to how men should be represented and how women should be represented. So where do you guys see this complex issue, whether it's race, gender, sexual orientation, or just all of the above, where do you guys see it the most within sports? And what do you think would be the way to kind of tackle and combat and combat those specific uh, issues. Um, I mean, I think it's just embracing everyone. I mean, I think um, you know you kind of look at the teams and everyone dresses differently, but um, I don't. I don't really. I'm not sure. Like, I don't know. I just think that. Um, you know, with it's just finding who you are, being comfortable with who you are, and embracing that. And I think, um, you know, I'm comfortable sitting up here in a romper right now, but then you'll see me, at, you know, walking around in sweats and being totally comfortable in that. And so I think with, you know, social media too, I think it's just the way women athletes are portrayed. I mean, what something really sticks in my mind is even women's soccer, when they won the World Cup, they're celebrating like crazy. You know, they're popping champagne, drinking beers, they're going crazy as they should be. They just won the World Cup and it was incredible and it was so fun, you know, watching them go through that whole celebration. And then I think back on when we won an Olympic gold medal and, you know, you didn't see any of us posting anything about, you know, celebrating and partying because I felt like at the time it was kind of looked down on where it's like, oh, these women shouldn't act this way necessarily. and. You know, you're representing the U.S., which I totally get. Um, but I think that was pretty eye-opening when the women's soccer team did it, and they were so, you know, proud of it and so open about what they were doing. And I think, um, you know, that's a, a great, you know, kind of leeway into making change of kind of how women are portrayed in sports. I yeah. would say... Oh, go sorry, ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, also just coming from a business perspective and, and working in sponsorships, um, there's just so much money being left on the table when you look at things one dimensionally. I was working on sponsorships for, um, you know, NBPA during All-Star Weekend. And I remember the team that was working on it originally, like they were literally only looking at like, certain brands that fit a certain audience, that fit a certain dynamic, and that was it. And here I came in, 
and started looking at like women's hair care brands because who else is there with a lot of these players during All-Star Weekend? Their wives, their girlfriends, their moms, their kids. It's a weekend for them. Um, so why are we not looking at other brands outside of our traditional like Nike and men's care brands or whatever? Um, and they ended up bringing in so much more sponsorship dollars because someone thought outside of the box. Wow, go figure. So um, I think that's like, for me, just coming from the business side, that's definitely one of the things I think about is like thinking outside of the box and also when, you when you're bringing in these other voices in the room that, to, especially what you were saying earlier about having like the same people in the room um, who co all come from the same background and they're just thinking about the same things. It's not necessarily challenging um, what you're bringing to the table is just enhancing it and bringing something else. I think you know it's a very complex question, and I, part of it is breaking the binary, right? Of a man is is like this, and a woman is like this. A woman can't play sports; she can't work in sports; she can't talk about sports. And realizing that biologically and you know identity-wise, we're all on the spectrum. Um, I'm sure a lot of you guys know Wade Davis, former NFL player who's now out, and he said homophobia stems from sexism. And it's because we, we stick a certain label on a gay man. And there's no way a gay man can be also an athlete because he's feminine. And, and it's, it's really destructive. Um, and I think you know, breaking that binary would benefit us all because really no one is on the opposite ends of the spectrum. We're all somewhere in the middle. And also too, we haven't even touched on trans athletes in sports. And many of you may have heard of Castor Semenya. There was a, a long, trial, she's a South African runner, and that just speaks to biologically we're on a spectrum. So it's so hard to define us, so why are we trying so hard to put us into these labels? So that's something that I've tried to use my career with as an androgynous, you know, gay professional athlete, is trying to break that binary and show that we are all um, so different along the spectrum. The only other thing I would add, um, echo everything that everybody said, is uh, that even for us who consider ourselves to be progressive and inclusive and aware and sensitive to these issues, we all carry unconscious bias. Like every single person in this room, you can be the head of the ACLU and you have unconscious bias. We all have unconscious bias because even if you're progressive and inclusive in the way that you seek out people from different backgrounds, you still ultimately like retreat to your community at the end of the day. And um, so I think just Owning that, again, like I, I give voice to that. I try to be vulnerable, which is super scary, and say out loud some of my kind of inner thoughts so that others can feel safe to acknowledge it and say like, I need to catch myself when I start thinking that um, because we all have it. And if you don't acknowledge it and shut it down or at least put it in its proper place, it's going to impact the way that you interact with people. And I think we'd all rather be intentional as opposed to unintentional in the way that we're approaching our life. So that self-awareness and acknowledgement, I think, is, is really important. And again, as we all become leaders as opposed to people who are kind of breaking in um, and have a platform to influence how others approach their life, I think that's super important just to say out loud when we can, when the time is right, uh, when there's opportunity to kind of help others to know that it's normal. It's normal to have unconscious bias. We all have it. And it's okay. Yeah. 
It's, it's, there's no judgment. There's right, no judgment. Yeah. And I, I actually think I'm a really good person, but I have unconscious bias. And yeah. maybe no one in my family was is gay. Maybe there's no one in my family when I was growing up that I interacted with and that somehow impacts the way that I think about things. But mm -hmm. do I make an effort to break down those barriers and make sure that I talk to people who come from and have that experience and educate myself so that I'm aware of what they're going through and what their experience is, absolutely. Like that, I think we all have a duty to do that if we want to be better and live a more inclusive life. Yeah, and, and kind of going off of what you're saying about how we all have these unconscious biases, I think the one thing that, you know, obviously it's so important for people to speak up on these issues, but I think it's even so much more important and there's so much power b behind listening for the purpose of understanding. Um, and I feel like a lot of times, especially when you're having conversations with people, that does not happen. And you would realize that those that you may find that you have so much not in common, at the end of the day, there's certain core things that you all, we all have similarities with. Um, that's something that I've learned when I went to Kentucky. You know, I grew up in New Jersey. My mom's from Brooklyn. I was always around diverse areas. And then when I went over to Kentucky to play there, you know, I went to school with kids who never met a black person in real life until college. Like, I know, that blows my mind too, but they didn't. And so I had to take a step back and understand the difference between what I say is ignorance and racism. Because there is, it, it's sometimes it's a fine line, but there actually is a difference. There are some people who will, may say things or ask questions because they just do not have that experience. They do not have the experience of meeting someone who's different. Then there are those who just don't like me because I'm black. But understanding and actually listening to them and understanding that and taking the time to, if it's someone who is like, does not have that experience, taking the time to educate them, to talk to them, you know? I've had, I've had people ask me like, oh wait, so you, you, don't, you don't just date black men. You, you actually date outside? And I'm like, yeah. But there are people who are, who've learned that they, he's like, no, you must only date, if you're black, you should only date black in Kentucky, and if you're white, you should only date white. So I think that uh, another way that we can start tackling these issues is really just focusing more so on listening and understanding, and, and really, you know, whether we agree or disagree with what they're saying, there are ways that we can have that sense of understanding that will take us to the goal of fixing whatever the issue is, whatever the ignorance is, the best way that we can. So there's so much power in listening, especially in this world with social media where everyone wants to get out their opinion. Sometimes you gotta step back and just reevaluate what they say and you know, try to come to some sort of understanding, whether, even if you don't agree with it. Um, so we're gonna open this up for you guys to ask anyone on the, on the panel questions. Um, feel free to ask anything. Like, they had so many amazing answers, so candid, so open and honest. So please, feel free to ask us any questions. Yes? <laughs> Thank you guys. Um, my question is for other women in the workplace that are being supervised um, by another female or have female colleagues, how do you deal with the competition? And we talked a little bit about this and the idea of instead of women empowering women, they often knock them down because it is that competitive in the sports industry where everybody kind of wants to be noticed. So you have women kind of not doing other women well. How do you all handle that? And yeah. 
Um, I would say for me, um, one thing that I learned early on was that it wasn't personal, that it was pretty much, especially for the, a lot of the older women that I came up with um, in this industry, it was kind of just like ingrained in their head. And for most of them, they were the only woman on their team. And God forbid, like it was a woman of color, she was definitely the only one in the room. So, you know, um, I had to realize early on that a lot of these women were not treating me this way because they were personally against me. It was them just kind of protecting their space and what they fought for and built. Um, but one thing that I tried to do then was let them know that I, I wasn't there to be in competition with them. I was there to really learn and just gain whatever wisdom and knowledge that they can give me. Um, and now that I'm in more senior positions, I am very cognizant of that and how I speak to more junior people um, and the time that I make for a lot more, junior, especially junior women, and making sure that you know, even if we can't, they don't feel comfortable like speaking in the office, like let's go out for a cocktail, let's go out for a drink, where we're kind of just like, building down these walls and letting them know that I'm an ally and that I'm here to, you know, just give them a safe space where they can come and they can be open with me and, and we can kind of just come to a conclusion together. Uh, I would say two things. Um, first, kind of goes back to some of the themes we were talking about earlier, modeling the behavior you want to see. So no matter where you are on the totem pole, like I don't care if you're an administrative assistant, you can create a culture, a microculture, where you're pumping up other women, where you're um, acknowledging and supporting women who are above or below you. Like, I, I don't think it has to be hierarchical. And that tends to be infectious, right? Because I think when people are like, oh, she she's like giving me props in this meeting. Like, maybe she's more junior than me. It doesn't matter. Like, we're all human, right? Like, I, I always, this is really dumb and very vulnerable for me to share that my, uh, my pastime when I'm on vacation is to read Us Weekly. And I read the, they're just like us. Like I always yeah. think about that when I'm in a situation where let's say there's a super senior woman who I'm trying to like get to be more inclusive with me and see me as an ally. And I'm like, well, I'm more junior than her, but I'm gonna like throw her some props and see what happens. Cause she's just like me. Like she went through what I went through. She's probably going through what I'm going through in her own sphere with her peers. So. Just know that whoever you're trying to get support from recognition is just like you. She's human, she feels scared, she probably has moments where she has self-doubt, um, she wishes she was more supported by her peers, and so if you can be the one with courage and be brave and throw her some props, it'll come back around to you. Yeah, I also think, like going off of what you're saying, like actively helping people for the purpose of not expecting anything in return. I think a lot of times, like especially in the business uh, scene, you know, since there is that competitive edge, people are always, you know, there are some people that think like, oh, why are you helping me? You're helping me because you want something? It's like, no, I, I wanna help because I genuinely care. And I think that, you know, sometimes kindness, compassion, and care is something that's removed out of this space. But when you put it into this space, that's when they'll put down their barriers and be like, okay, she's helping me because like, she cares about me as a person. And I think there's so much, there's so much power to sh letting people know that. So then that's when they kind of let it go down. Because I always tell people, right, you know, yes, it's, it's a competitive scene business, but like, I know what I'm great at. 
Like, I know what my skill sets are. I know what I'm amazing at. And there's no one that can do it the way that I can because I'm me at the end of the day. So I will not look at you as a threat. I will actually look at you as someone that I can build with and grow with because at the end of the day, if we all grow together, we're all going to win together. If we're fighting against each other, then we're not going to grow together. So I think that uh, sometimes just even actively extending a hand and uh, genuinely helping someone without even expecting anything in return goes a long way with breaking down those barriers. So I'm uh, touching base on the homophobia in men and women's sport that you were talking about before because I was a college athlete, straight male, five years, played football, had an athlete of mine that came out after we played, and I, I asked him why because I figured I had the answer, and he said didn't want to make anybody nervous in the locker room. Um, in your perspective, like this is for everybody, uh, do you think homophobia in athletics are more frowned upon men than women? Because in my personal perspective, being a straight male, I think so because I also do musical theater and people have said I'm either too hetero or in the closet because I do musical theater, which I don't <laughs> know what being too hetero means, if you, but anyway. And, and it's just like having the perspective of like Michael Sam and now Ryan Russell recently came out as bisexual in the NFL, a three-year vet, um, just to get the perspective from whole panel of uh, intelligent women. Yeah, I'd say for sure it's much less supported in men's sports than women's, and I think it comes down to what we talked about, what Wade Davis says, um, that homophobia comes from sexism. And a gay man does not fit the um, stereotype of a masculine, um, macho dude. And that goes against everyone's perspective of what a man should be. So they're not just fighting the locker room bias, the, sponsorship bias of potentially you know, um, not getting the sponsorships that they want, but they're also fighting societal perspective of what a man should look like. And for the woman, uh, for women's sports, I think it's, it's almost opposite, right? Um, most people think about female athletes as more masculine, um, higher testosterone levels, and that sort of buys into the whole idea of, of what a lesbian or a gay woman is. So I think you, you have different sides of the spectrum. Um, they both have their own challenges and difficulties, but I think that's why you see a lot more female athletes feeling safe to come out while in their careers than a male athlete. Yeah, I was going to add to that from a business perspective. Um, you know, for a long time, I think it's definitely changing now, but for a long time, people were saying, like, that's why the WNBA couldn't make money, right? It's because it's like they had all these lesbians in the league, and it's like that wasn't family friendly. And I've been in meetings where things like that were said by executives. Like, we cannot market this league because, like, this isn't family friendly and we're gonna have this audience that is not going to, you know, want to come and support the game. So I definitely am seeing a change in there, but yeah, I agree with what you're saying. All right. Oh, um, this is especially for Alex. Uh, you know, I don't know how much people no, but you guys have a, a clean slate right now to basically you're trying to build your own league within North America. Um, and I think the WNBA is a great point because that league is owned by the NBA as opposed to, say, the NWSL, which is not owned by MLS. You know, where do you guys want to see you come out on this side and how much involvement should the NHL have? Honestly, right now, we're just looking for someone who is seeing what we're seeing and wants to create that future for women's hockey. Um, 
you know, whoever that partner is, we're going to make sure it's the right partner because, you know, we've dealt with a couple leagues in the past that have, you know, the league I played on last year folded. Um, you know, I think it's, we're to the point now where, like I said earlier, we're done being grateful. We're looking for someone who is willing to invest in us. Um, it was mentioned earlier that, you know, you're not going to make money in the first couple years. We know that. Um, you know, it's, it's not, it's more of an investment. You're going to invest in us, um, you know, provide us with the opportunities, create marketing, get people in to watch this. I mean, the league that we're looking to create is going to be an incredible league. Um, you know, you're going to have the best talent from all over the world. And so instead of just watching that best talent every, you know, once a year you play U.S. versus Canada, it's going to be, um, you know, at the Olympics, obviously a big hype there and then a little bit more hype for, or a little less hype for world championships. But, you know, we're looking to create a league where every single night it's going to be the best talent on the ice. Um, you know, I think it was really cool last year when I played in the CWHL in Canada that, you know, I had, I was playing alongside 12 Olympians on the team, U.S., Canada, and Finland, there was Olympians. And, you know, you look at that team and then you look at a college team and that quality of play is already better than a college team. Um, you know, a good college team is going to have maybe two, three Olympians on it. Um, so, you know, I think it's just bringing in someone, you know, if it's NHL, it's, that's great. Um, you know, if it's someone else who just kind of sees what, you know, what we want to accomplish and we want to create this league where, you know, young girls can look to aspire to become professional athletes someday. Um, you know, you have Serena Williams that, you know, young tennis players can look up to, but are you, you know, having young women who are able to look up to, you know, Hillary Knight, Brianna Decker, Kendall Coyne, and be like, I want to be like them someday. When I grew up, I was looking at NHL goalies. I was looking at NHL players. Those were my role models. And so for us, we want to create, um, you know, a professional league that, young girls can look up to and be like, I want to do that someday. I don't have to choose when I'm done with college. I don't have to choose if I want to pay rent um, or if I can, you know, continue to play hockey and follow my dreams and, you know, continue my passion. So, um, yeah, just looking for the right sponsor and right um, partner to come along for us. Hi. Um, this is an overall question, Dash. Um, uh, so the question I have is for women that are graduating college, you know, I played soccer in college as well, and I played a little bit afterwards. It's we have to make the decision that we need to get a job because we need to make money, right? So that's not there. Are there tax credits or credits to individuals that would want to invest in a women-owned company that would then maybe flush them with cash in some capacity that would then, you know, give you guys the opportunity to, I don't know, be on different channels on TV or have different marketing opportunities because now there's a larger budget behind you guys? And then also the talent pool would be so much more because you'd be able to invest and pay people so they wouldn't have to have three other jobs and they could really, like, spend their time focusing on their sport. Um, what are any programs that are out there for people that are investing in women in sports so we can change that pay gap? Um, the Women's Sports Foundation is an incredible foundation that um, you know provides a lot of opportunities for women in sports. And so we've been really lucky to have Billie Jean King on our side for our Dream Gap Tour. Um, so, you know, we're looking for people to provide sponsorship opportunities for us to get, you know, ice time, jerseys, um, get games. And so we have this tour this year where we're going to be playing in different cities where, um, you know, it's we're playing alongside Canadians. We're playing alongside, you know, our U.S. teammates. And 
other players. And so for us to have support from, you know, the Women's Sports Foundation, it's been absolutely incredible. I mean, to have Billie Jean King, who's an absolute icon in women's sports. And so to have her support and have her kind of, um, you know, helping lead charge in this whole thing, I mean, they'd be a great, great resource to reach out to. Um, I mean, I can help put you in contact with people for our Players Association that we just created. Um, and so, I mean, I think it's, that's what we're at. We're, you know, willing to work with people who are seeing our vision and people who, um, you know, want to grow women's athletics and create a bigger talent pool. So it'd be great to work with. <laughs> and I would say really quickly to um, definitely hiring the right talent on the league side. Um, you know, one thing that I've seen a lot is that a lot of these leagues are hiring either people who are looking at it as a stepping stone to get to like the men's league or um, just not hiring the right talent just to get people in the door. When you're hiring talent that knows the women's sports industry and knows more importantly how to sell women's sports and understands it and watches it and is a fan of it, you're definitely gonna start seeing more revenue coming in. So stop looking at women's sports as just like an add-on, um, but looking at it as like the revenue generator that it could be. Is that it? Where's Don? Oh, one more? Okay. Oh, here, you want the mic? Sorry. Okay. So, um, first thing, I just want to say thank you for telling your stories because this is so insightful and just helpful and relatable because I'm actually in the esports league and also a tournament player. So, you guys are actually giving me so much inspiration and confidence. I thank you, ladies, so much. The one thing I just want to point out is that you guys were talking about the struggles and everything that you guys were going through. I actually want to hear one of your biggest accomplishments that you got from being in this industry. No more of this like red flags and craziness. I want to hear some green. I want to hear some really good happening. Make me feel good going home tonight. <laughs> um, I mean, my biggest accomplishment is I'm paving a way for especially women of color in the esports scene. You know, like I said. There's not that many black women who are the face of an esports and gaming show that's on cable TV. Like, there's not that many esports shows that are on TV. So I think that just being able to be in that position, even though with that position, it does come with a lot of obstacles and challenges and stuff like that. But to be able to even say that, you know, I, I, I was able to, to do that and to pave a, a path for others. That honestly means the most to me, you know? I, there's been so many women, like even for my mom, my mom grew up in Bed-Stuy, not gentrified Bed-Stuy, I'm talking about Biggie Bed-Stuy. And so <laughs> just to see her take things to the next level and, and raise me in New Jersey and, 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 and what she had to go through, especially being a single mother, it, it really encouraged me to say, you know what, you know, I, 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 I could be in a comfortable position, but being comfortable doesn't always get things done at the end of the day. And you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's when progress happens. So I think for me, having my face, you know, uh, it is great. You get, you get opportunities. Like I'm working with AT&T and now I'm having a lot of brands coming to me asking me how do we get in esports and how do we cater what we're trying to do in esports to the black and Latin community. And so I'm getting these opportunities. But with it, I am now having the ability to set things right and say, listen, not all black people just play sports games. Mm -hmm. 
we play a lot more than that. And being able to be that person that is speaking up, and even if it's in opposition, and even if I get, you know, I, I've had I've had people attack me. I've had people call me the N word, like in our Twitch chat during the show. Just kept saying it. And uh, does it is it a lot sometimes? Yeah, sometimes I'm just like, yo, fuck all of this. I'm done. But then. You know, once I'm done and get it all out, I'm like, you know what? There's a reason why I'm doing this, and I want to make it easier for everyone else that's behind me moving forward. So I think that's the biggest achievement in itself is paving a path for others and being able to, you know, say that, you know, hey, I was one of the first. It sucks, but I love what I do, and I hope that it'll bring another and even someone who's better than me and have them have an easier path moving forward. I would say for me, um, it's just watching my organization grow. Like I said, we have over a thousand members across the country, all people of color um, who work in the sports industry in every corner. So we're not all in basketball, we're not all in football. We have some golf people in there, we have some NASCAR folks in there. Um, and, and one thing that I think for me was my biggest accomplishment is just kind of proving that, you know, like as people of color, we don't have that crabs in a barrel mentality. Like when you're in that group chat, and Erin's in the group chat so she can um, attest to this, like everyone is trying to see each other win. So when you have someone pose a question in there or they're looking for a job or anything, like everyone will jump at it and like, oh, pass me your resume, like I'll help you edit this or I'll pass it on. We've had people get jobs because just off the strength of just being in the group chat together and they've never met, but just like, I'm gonna see this person win. And I think for me, the biggest accomplishment are the college students that we work with. So we partner with two schools, um, the University of Missouri and U, um, UPenn, and we have um, official chapters on their campus for students who wanna get into the sports industry. And we do the spring networking trip where they'll go to a city, last year was New York, this year was Atlanta, um, and they'll go visit companies. And for me, the first trip where we had um, the Mizzou students go to, you know, Nike and the NBA office, and um, they went to the WNBA draft. And every single one of the women, like, went up to the podium where Lisa Borders, like, called out all the women and, you know, kind of was taking pictures there. And for me, like, I got very emotional because I saw them seeing themselves in those spaces. When I graduated college, I had no connections in sports. So for me, trying to work in sports was literally on Google, how do I get into sports? Sports agencies in the United States. And literally like emailing every single sports industry, um, sports agency my resume to get an internship where we're kind of breaking down those barriers for these kids, especially our students in Mizzou who are like in the middle of nowhere, there's like no pro team around them and they like, have no idea where to even start to work in sports, but they know they want to work in sports. So to be able to see them, see themselves in these spaces and see that being a reality for them was like a, my biggest accomplishment. Uh, I'll be brief um, and the PR person for my new league is here, so he'd be really mad if I didn't say this. Um, but it's very hard for women. I think we, we tend to be a little more humble. It feels very weird for me to like say this as in response to your question, but uh, this new job I have is uh, apparently a big deal that I'm the first woman who's a deputy commissioner of a men's sports league. And um, when my son, my biggest accomplishment is actually not that, it's like a sub point of that, which is my 11 year old boy. And I call him a he for she because I raised him that way. He called me a pioneer. That was my biggest accomplishment. When he read the press release, he said, mom, you're a pioneer. And that's my biggest accomplishment. That's dope. Woo! Congratulations. Um, 
I was the first player in Washington Spirit history to have her jersey retired. Um, this happened in June. And I was really proud of that moment because I am the least decorated player to ever have her jersey retired. I've never won a championship. I've lost all three I've played in. Um, never was a leading goal scorer, but it was because I stood for something. And it was because I used my platform as an avenue for social impact. And I think what you're doing is amazing. And I think what we can all take from this is that you have a platform to inspire someone behind you that may look like you or um, it has is timid or is shy to be um, in esports. And you know, I've used my career to help make other people feel more comfortable in their own skin. And that's what I've said before. Just cutting my hair in a mohawk, or if a young woman runs, runs up to me and says, you know, you inspired me to come out, or you just make me feel safe that I'm gay. Um, and that, I think, is the greatest part of my career, is that I, I made a difference. So for me, um, I mean, I think looking back on kind of my career, there's been so many highs and lows. Um, and I think all the successes are just that much better when you overcome the obstacles. I mean, um, I've had, you know, to deal with, you know, getting cut from teams. I've had double hip surgeries. And I've been told, you know, I'm never going to play at a high level again. And, you know, to kind of overcome all of those things and create a kind of a support system around you that, you know, you have that you can lean on in times of, you know, doubt and in times of highs, they're there for you. And I think that's a big difference in creating kind of that community that you have and creating that support around you. And so I'd say, you know, the biggest accomplishments for us and biggest successes are yet to come. I mean, created, you know, accomplished my dream of becoming an Olympic gold medalist at the age of 27, 26. Um, so, you know, it was a 20, 20 year dream of mine. And so that was an accomplishment. And then for me to, you know, take a step back after the season and be like, am I going to be done or am I going to continue to play? And I, I made the decision to continue to play. And for me, as a 27-year-old now, um, continuing to play the sport I love, I'd be so proud of myself as a little six-year-old when I first dreamed of, you know, playing in the Olympics and that I'm continuing to play. And so I think that's a huge success for us. And what we've stood for is, you know, creating those opportunities for women to keep and continue to play um, and not allowing age to kind of stop them and, um, you know, just overcoming all those adversities along the way. All right, well, let's give it up for this panel. <laughs> yes.